Hi, this is Steve Nellick from Cheap Astronomy. Why, 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 why Cheap Astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, Episode 15, The Big Schism. These days you can't do an astronomy podcast without eventually coming up against Einstein's concept of space-time. What should be immediately clear, once you become familiar with space-time, is that we constantly mislead ourselves by talking about exploring space and space travel. As Durrani will now explain, it's meaningless talking about space unless you also talk about time. Dear Cheap Astronomy, Is faster than light communication possible? Hmm, no. We just have to accept that space-time really is space-time. If you want to communicate with people almost instantaneously, that's easy. Just whisper in their ear. But once you put distance between you and them, you just can't communicate instantaneously anymore. Because we communicate with each other on Earth at the speed of light, over distances of just a few thousand kilometers, it feels like instantaneous communication. But we know from experience that talking to someone on the moon involves a 1.5 second delay. Talking to our spacecraft at Mars involves a 6 to 20 minute delay, and a message sent to or from Voyager 1 takes 17 hours. The idea of instantaneously communicating with people who are a light year away is just nonsensical. They are a light year away, a year, by light. We have to accept that space is time, and time is space. We can't have one without the other. Theorists have suggested various ways around this seemingly insurmountable barrier. The main contenders are quantum entanglement and wormholes. Whether you believe in quantum entanglement or not, it's unlikely to offer an effective way of communicating information. It's true that two particles, once entangled, maintain a certain congruency when separated. So, for example, once you determine the spin of one, you can immediately know the spin of the other. Indeed, you will also know what someone else will see if they try to determine the spin of that other particle, even if it is light years away. However, it is unclear how you could turn this phenomenon into a communication system. You don't actually know what the spin of the particle near you is until you go and measure it. So just knowing what the other person will measure at the other end, after you've done your measurements, doesn't really help you to send them a meaningful message. If you follow the Copenhagen interpretation, that observing something collapses its wave function into a live cat or a dead cat, then observing the state of the particle close to you should cause its distant entangled partner to immediately collapse into the opposite state. This is Einstein's so-called spooky action at a distance. But this effect doesn't really help you build a communication system either, since the person at the other end can't distinguish pre-collapsed wave functions from unobserved wave functions until they observe all the particles in their vicinity, which will immediately collapse all the particle waveforms in their vicinity. If we can ever figure out how to recognize a particle whose wave function had already collapsed prior to us measuring it, we could be onto something. 
at least we could be onto something if there really is such a thing as spooky action at a distance. Communications via wormholes is similarly doubtful. Wormholes are at best hypothetically possible, with utterly no evidence for their existence having been found to date. Even on a hypothetical basis, once formed, they should either collapse immediately or otherwise become a black hole. So we have little reason to think that they would be capable of relaying a clear signal from one end to the other. Hardcore theorists propose a stable wormhole could be achieved using exotic matter with negative energy density, but this doesn't amount to much more than physicist hand-waving. So, FTL communication? Hmm, no. And thanks to Ernie. Einstein's disdain for spooky action at a distance exemplifies the big schism that has existed in physics for nearly a century now. We continue finding evidence for relativity theory and we continue to find evidence for the quantum-based standard model of particle physics. But can you meld the two theories together, relativity and quantum? Hmm, no. As, well, I will now explain, even the very latest finding that confirms the standard model of particle physics still doesn't really fit with relativity theory. Dear Cheap Astronomy, How does the Higgs boson fit with Einstein's relativity theory? A lot of people are starting to ask this now. With the Higgs boson confirmation last year and the Nobel Prize for confirming its existence this year. The interaction between the Higgs boson and the Higgs field is what creates inertial mass. So if you imagine a mass floating out in fairly empty interstellar space, you will have to exert a force on it to move it forward. And you will have to exert more force to move a bowling ball than you will to move a golf ball. This is because the bowling ball encapsulates more matter than the golf ball does, which means it has more Higgs bosons than the golf ball does, and those Higgs bosons create more drag on the Higgs field, a field which apparently pervades the entire universe. All that said, though, the standard Higgs analogy, where Higgs bosons create drag through the Higgs field, like parachutes create drag through the air, is not a particularly good analogy. The Higgs interaction only resists acceleration. Any mass can move at a constant velocity through a vacuum, potentially forever, without it ever experiencing the slightest amount of drag. This is, after all, Newton's first law of motion. But anyway... Let's now take the bowling ball and the golf ball and drop them off the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And since this is a thought experiment, let's have them drop in a vacuum. As you might guess, although they are two very different masses, they both accelerate at the same rate and hit the ground at the same time. Newton would have argued that the mass of the Earth and the masses of the two balls are important here. The more massive bowling ball 
experiences a stronger gravitational interaction with the Earth than the less massive golf ball does. But Newton's second law of motion tells us that the more massive bowling ball needs more force to achieve the same acceleration as the less massive golf ball does. So the outcome is that both the bowling ball and the golf ball end up accelerating at exactly the same rate and they hit the ground at exactly the same time. The Higgs interaction explains this scenario in much the same way. The more massive bowling ball, which might have accelerated faster than the golf ball, experiences more Higgs field resistance than the golf ball does. So both the bowling ball and the golf ball end up accelerating at the same rate and they hit the ground at the same time. So the Higgs interaction is really just a different way of expressing Newton's second law. That is, you need a stronger force to equivalently accelerate a heavier mass. But of course, Newton's second law and Einstein's relativity don't see eye to eye. Newton assumed that if you kept increasing the force acting upon a certain mass, you could accelerate that mass indefinitely, or indeed infinitely. Einstein effectively proved that nothing can be accelerated faster than the speed of light. And hence Newton's second law of motion breaks down at very high velocities. There will always come a point where you just can't accelerate a mass any further regardless of the amount of force that you exert upon it. So, the Higgs boson fills a gap in the quantum physics-based standard model by explaining mass. But it doesn't manage to explain the behaviour of mass at high velocities, and it doesn't manage to explain gravity. Indeed, the whole of quantum physics doesn't really manage to explain gravity. So, the Higgs boson discovery has done little to heal the current schism between relativity theory and quantum mechanics. All it really does is to provide further support for the quantum theory perspective. So for now, we suggest that if you can fit the Higgs boson and relativity theory together, you should hire a tux or an evening dress and book your flight to Stockholm where another Nobel Prize will surely await you. And thanks me. Now, there's no point thinking relativity theory is somehow better than quantum theory. They are both very effective theories. But neither is capable of explaining everything. Nonetheless, it doesn't seem likely that quantum entanglement will ever produce a useful method of long-distance communication and nor does it seem likely that gravity is mediated by particles. And that's it for another episode of Dear Cheap Astronomy. If you've got a space science question, or want to discuss your latest design for warp drive, or an Ansible device, why not write to cheapastro at gmail.com? And we'll go, hmm, thanks for listening. Steve Nerlich, Cheap Astronomy.